You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're going through the tractate of Moed, and we're going to start the tractate of Shakalim. Shakalim means shekels. And it's a very interesting tractate because it is actually not really part of Moed. So all the other tractates in Moed are to do with festivals. And okay, we started with Shabbat, we went on to Erovin, and we've done Pesachim, and we'll eventually go through Yontov and um, Purim and so on. And we're going to go right the way through everything to do with the festivals. Now, Shekalim is different. Shekalim is about collection of dues for the temple. And these are collected at a certain time. So there is a certain logic to putting the tractate into the into the same order as the other festivals. But it is actually not directly connected to the festivals, although we'll see in a minute that it's indirectly connected to Purim. And we have, we we as ever, we have a Pasuk. These Pusukim actually are from Kitisa, the beginning of Kitisa. God speaks to Moses and he says, When you you take a census of the people of Israel, then they have to give something, well, it's translated here as as a ransom. They have to give some kind of atonement for their life when they're counted so that there shouldn't be a plague. There's a, there's a warning in the Pasha of Kitisa that some terrible plague will, will afflict the people of Israel if there, if there is a census. And this did actually happen in the time of King David. So in the time of King David, the king decides to make a census for apparently no reason except that he just wanted to know how many people he had in the, the nation. He was very proud of how big and how great the nation is. And he, he does conduct a census, and there is a terrible plague. And anyway, the halacha is that we can't, you can't count Jews. There's, something, there's some awful punishment for counting Jews. But you are allowed, or we are allowed, and this is a quote from Jonathan Sachs, while we can't count Jews, we can count their contribution. So we can, if they all give a half shekel, we can count the half shekel. There's no problem about counting the contribution. And the, the contribution is somehow protective. It's a kofar enough short. It's an atonement. And everybody has to give half a shekel. At least everybody from 20 years old and above has to give a half a shekel. The rich don't give more. The poor don't give, give less. And it's repeatedly called atonement money. You shall take the atonement money. And it's used to maintain the Ohel Moed, to maintain the tent of meeting. So these half shekels are essentially used as dues. It's a bit like early synagogue dues. They're used as dues to maintain the temple and to maintain all the offerings. And we see in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is written after the return from Babylon. So 50 years after destruction, the Jews get to go and come back. And they come back and actually things are in a pretty poor state. And they take a vow not to intermarry. And they also take a vow. This is now from Nehemiah. They, 
they took a vow to give a third of a shekel. Very interesting. It's a third of a shekel now, not half a shekel. But they took a vow to give a third of a shekel every year for the service of the house of a god. So they were levying synagogue dues on themselves back in the year, must be 520, about 530 before the common era. First thing they do when they get back from Babylon, they just got to raise funds. You can't run a temple without funds. So this half shekel, which is described in the Chumash, is then described later in Nehemiah, and it's carried on ever since. Now, the structure of our tractate, which has eight chapters, as we go through the order of Moed, by the way, we are going to find that the number of chapters in each tractate gradually shrinks. They are arranged in descending order of length. So right when we get to the end, it's only the last tractate, Chagig, has only got three chapters. I think three or maybe even two, three chapters, I think. But anyway, they're gradually shrinking. We've got eight chapters in Shekalim. I think eight will find eight in Rosh Hashanah as well. And then they get smaller and smaller. And the first two chapters deal with collecting the half shekel. The next two with spending it. The next two with administrating the temple. There's a lot of administration. A lot of this is a bit like an administration manual for the temple. And then the final two chapters are separate. There's a whole list of things which might be found in Jerusalem. And by the way, things that might become Tameh. And the Mishnah explains how to deal with these things. A bit like the last chapter of Pesachim deals with all kinds of mistakes and mishaps that might come about. So anyway, the last the last chapter of Shukalem is a really it just is about stuff that kind of goes wrong or is unfit. So that's the structure of the tractate. And we're just going to try to cover two Mishnayot today. On the first of Adar, Echad Badar, Mashmi'im Ashkalim Ve'alakilim. On the first of Adar, they make an announcement about the shekels and about kilim. Kilim are diverse species. We can't plant two species in the same field, or at least not right next to one another in the same field. They have to be somewhat separated. And of course, this we're now in Adar, we're the first of Adar. So it's the end of the winter, it's the end of the rainy season, and stuff is sprouting, just like any... I mean, if you, we were, I was in the Negev last week, and stuff is just sprouting like anything. In Adar, things sprout, and I guess this is the reason why this is the time to go out and remind people that if they have diverse species, if they have key lime growing next to one another in the fields, they need to uproot them. So that's on the first of Adar. And then the Mishnah is going to continue. On the 15th, they read the Megillah. That's Purim. We know about that. And in a walled city, you read the Megillah on the 15th. And then they do all kinds of other things, which... We kind of we, we sense we need to do at the end of the winter. They fix the roads and the streets and the and the mikvah and the mikvahs, and um called and they perform all public duties. They mark out where graves are. Kani need to know where they can walk. And the markings might have been washed away in the winter rain. So they remark. It's a bit like remarking the road signs at the end of the winter. They remark the graves. They yot sin af ahakilaim. And they actually go out 
to deal with the kilaim, with the dive, with the um, the species, the diverse species. So on the first of Adar, they announce that you've got to get rid of your diverse species, and on the fifteenth, they send the Bet Din sends out messages to actually do something about it. And this this conjunction of collecting the shekel and Adar and Purim is not a coincidence. I mean, there are different things. So the Mishkan was erected on the first of Nisan. So the, if you like, the the um, the work year of the Beit Mikdash begins in Nisan. So they need the money at the beginning of Nisan to buy all the offerings. So there's a there's an economic reason why you want to collect on the first of Adar, so that by the time you get to the first of Nisan. After another month, you've got the money you need to buy the offering. So there's an economic reason for the first of Adar. But there's also another reason, there's another collect, and there's another connection to Purim. And I just wanted to bring you a source from the Talmud in Megillah. And the Talmud quotes the words of Haman to the king, and he says, tov. You recognize this from Purim. Imam Amalek Tov Yikatev Abdam Ve'asert Alafim Kikar Kesef Eshkol Al Yedei Osei HaMalacha. If it please the king, let it be written that they be destroyed. This is the Jews are going to be destroyed. And I'll weigh out 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. Haman offers money to the king to get rid of the Jews. And now Reish Lakish says, now we're in the Jerusalem Talmud. So we're not in the Babli, we're in the Yerushalmi. And of course, Reish Lakish, is a, he's, he's a, just a, a generation after the Hadrianic persecutions. He's very aware of destruction, the potential destruction. The rabbis all went up to the Galil to get away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is destroyed at this point. Reish Lakish says, it's revealed and known to the one who spoke and the world came into being. In the future, Haman was going to weigh out shekels against the Jewish people. And of course, when was the destruction going to happen? It's the middle of Adar. It was going to be on the 13th of Adar. Therefore, Reish Lucky says, they, um. Therefore, he says, Lefichach higdim shiklehem lishkalav. He made sure that their shekels, the Jewish shekels, would get in before Haman's shekels. If you like, we give our tzedakah before the date of destruction, so that if you like, our tzedakah hits the notice of the Holy One before the. Um, uh, before the destruction, and that is, and then of course, Reish Lashish is going to go and quote our Mishnah. As we learn in the Mishnah, on the first of Adar, they make a public announcement about the shekels and about Kilaim to get in there before Purim. What are we going to do with the Kilaim? Well, this is the second Mishnah in the tractate, and Rabbi Yuda says, "Am I Rabbi Yuda? Hayu u Mashlichin Lifnehem." At first, if they the, the messengers from the Bet Din found that anybody had these diverse species in their field, they just pull them up and throw them down. When transgressors increased in number, they used to uproot them and throw them out on the roads. 
So at first they'd throw them in their fields, and then they used to throw them on the roads. And then he kol And then they decreed they'd make the whole field ownerless. Effectively, they took away the owner's title to the field. If the owner had diverse species in his field, they would just basically take away his title to that field. It's a, it's a complete, it's a draconian punishment. Draconian punishment. And again, we're going to go back to the Talmud Yerushalmi. And, and Yerushalmi explains why they did this. And the, the Yerushalmi begins by saying, Tani Amar Rabbi Yudha. It begins by just quoting our, say, you know, Rabbi Yudha taught this Mishnah. In the beginning, they used to uproot and throw, uproot and throw them down before them. So originally, they'd go out and uproot these diverse species. And the Talmud says, They were happy, to, they, 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 they celebrated two happinesses. They were twice happy. The owners of these fields who were growing these diverse species in, in transgression of, of, the, of, of the law, they were so happy, first, that their field was weeded for them. They didn't have to weed their own field because the messengers from the Bet Din come and do it for them. And secondly, all the kilim, all the diverse species have now been um, uprooted, i.e. harvested, and thrown down in, for, in front of them so they can eat them. So it's just like having rent. It's like having a rental service do your garden. So they were so happy. So when the numbers of transgressors increased, well, clearly they're giving people the incorrect. In, an economist would say they the bet din is giving incorrect incentives. So clearly the number of transgressors is going to increase. So what do they do? Okay, instead of throwing the the, the species down in their gardens, they throw them on the roadway. So, but so the Talmud goes on to say, They were still happy. They might not be happy because they could eat the species, but they were happy because their fields had been weeded. So, um, So they instituted that they would declare the entire field Ownless. That was the only way in which they could establish proper incentives to keep the law. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.